It's good to know there's one child that wants to stay with us. <laughs> well, here we are in Peter's letter, the first letter of Peter. We're in chapter 1. We'll read, oh, let's read the first nine verses, but our text will be found specifically in verses 3 through 5. The reason we open the Word of God and read and study, not only on days that we gather corporately, but as we go our separate ways, we establish a pattern in our lives of reading the Word is because the Bible is authoritative. We have the scriptures that come with the full weight of God's blessing and God's authority. We read in the Bible that the scriptures are inspired of God. They're God-breathed. Jesus said... Heaven and earth will pass away, but not the smallest mark of my word will pass away. James said that this is the engrafted word that is able to save our soul. So a couple things regarding the authoritative word. Specifically here, we have a writing, a letter... Uh, written by the Apostle Peter, bears his name, Peter, an Apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, as to the authority of the word, the Bible The Bible speaks to us concerning eternal matters. That's what I like about it. That's why we gravitate to it. What about eternity? What about life after death? What about my life here and now? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? The Bible deals with matters of eternal significance. And then one thing that has become more clear with each passing day is I love this about the teaching of Jesus. I love this about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that the Bible doesn't, doesn't ramble. You don't, you don't run across extraneous words and chapters, words that couldn't or shouldn't be there. You, you have the Bible writers moved by the Holy Spirit speaking specifically on eternal matters. Now, I notice in Jesus' teaching, he never rambles. Everything he says is for a purpose. 
I think, I think more preachers, more pastors should take after Jesus in that. Okay, I, I thought that might make somebody happy. I don't know. Somebody's saying, well, let's start today. But this is authoritative. And these words of Peter are binding on the church. Uh, they're as binding on us today as they were back in the first century. Peter is dealing with life and death issues. He's dealing with how life is to be lived on earth when there are all kinds of pressures, if not persecutions. Yeah, I like to think, okay, what was on Peter's mind when he was writing this? Well, he's thinking, I want the best for the people that are going to read this. I want to give the people that are reading this what they need to know in order to glorify God on earth and in order to prepare themselves for their eternal home. So he doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He's straightforward. I think knowing the situation of his hearers or of his readers Peter is, in, is offering encouragement. He's not necessarily writing a theological treatise, although I would put First and Second Peter up there with the book of Romans, and I would put it up there with the book of John. In its, in its importance, in its, in its loveliness, in its beauty, in its truth. And the words are, are meant to comfort folks. Not, a, not just, you know, on their best day, but on their, on their worst day. When the chips are down, what do we need to know? You know, we sang about it a while ago. My faith looks up to thee. Our, our faith needs to be looking up to the Lord in life and in death. We sang that verse. But what do you need to know when... Illness strikes. Uh, what do you need to know when you're, when you're facing death, when you're facing the challenges of life, old age? Uh, what do you need to know when relationships are difficult? What do you need to know when apparently the whole world is gone crazy and you feel like such a, of a minority opinion or viewpoint. What do you need to know? And that, to me, magnifies the words that are in this, uh, in this letter. And we see them right away in the, in the chapter. So we'll begin there. We'll read the first nine verses. Then we'll come back and we'll land there in verses 3 through five. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is Peter, this is the one who walked with Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He's an apostle. He preached. He's a, a significant 
apostle there in the early church. He's the one who rose up on the day of Pentecost and preached Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter. And then he he mentions or lists or designates his recipients. He says to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing not to a specific church, but to churches and believers that are scattered all through Asia Minor, which is a vast territory there to the north and to the east of Palestine. And it's interesting, the designation here of his of his readers. Now, in I don't know about your Bible, in my Bible, the next few words, the latter phrase there in verse 1 is, who are chosen. But those words, that word chosen is really up in, up further into verse 1. In fact, chosen as aliens. There is uh, the word chosen there is ek electois. Ek means out from. So he's he's talking to his readers. He says, you're the ones who are chosen. In fact, I think I, I was going through this in my mind the other the other evening. It really means you know, it really means the picked out ones. Ek out elect. Uh, picked out. The elect are picked out. Like you might say, go to the store and pick something out for yourself. Well, these people, Peter wants them to know that they're ek electois, they are chosen, they are picked out. That's kind of neat that they would have been chosen. He says they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But the next word there is interesting. It's the two words together. The next word has to do with being a foreigner or being in exile or being a sojourner or a pilgrim. I like pilgrim. Most people don't like pilgrim. I like pilgrim. But I like, you can remember this, they're the elect exiles or foreigners, or even more specifically, non-citizens. In other words, they have no inherent right in the land that they're living in. That's That's his designation for them. And then he says they're scattered, and of course they're scattered. Asia Minor is this huge area, and they're just all over the place. And he names the provinces there, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You can look on your map later. That's a vast area. And then um, that's what he wants them to know. They are the elect exiles who are scattered. And then he encourages them with this. He says, this, this has not taken place as something that has snuck up on God. But according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, 
to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. All those phrases right there, those three phrases, and you can, you can number them this way. There's the first one with God the Father, and then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus Christ. So the Father, the, the Spirit, and the Son all are involved in conversion. All those have to do with conversion. And he says, I love this next part. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure or be multiplied. And we'll reiterate what we said last week. Why would, why would he say grace and peace be multiplied to you? Well, to them there, they needed it. We need the multiplication of grace and peace in our lives. And only God can multiply that. Only God can shed that grace and that peace on you. That is his doing. But that's, that's the heart. Not, it is the heart of Peter for these folks. But more so, it's the heart of God. For them then and there and for us here and now. The heart of God is that grace and peace be multiplied to you and to me. And we need the multiplication of that grace and peace. Because of who we are and because of the world in which we live. Because of who we are. We're believers in Christ. But oh we're weak on our own. We need Christ. We need his grace and peace. And to make matters worse. We live in a world that's gone crazy. And for that. We need grace and peace multiplied. So I trust today. Even as we read through. This sacred text. That you would sense. Not only. In this moment, but in the days and weeks, months ahead, that you would walk in the multiplication of God's grace and peace for you. That God's grace and peace would be on your head in the fullest measure and expressed through your life in that measure. And then verse 3, and this is a wonderful doxology here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. And will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you. You the believer. You the elect exile. In this you greatly rejoice even though. Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So this is, 
This is what we, we have so much uh, fascination with or wonder about. And that is in the midst of trial, Peter is uh, speaking truth uh, to these elect exiles and saying, even though the trials are going on and even though you're scattered, even though you're, you feel like you're out on the edge of things. That you have a living hope and you have an inheritance in heaven. And not only that, you're protected by the power of God. Even though you're facing trials and pressures, you have the assurance of God's favor. His grace, his peace on your life. And he says, in this, you greatly rejoice. So the rejoicing in the midst of hardship or calamity or catastrophe to one looking at another's life, it might look like their life is totally coming apart at the seams. They're suffering for their faith. But Peter notes that there's the reality of, of rejoicing in the midst of that problem. He says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the proof of your faith. What is the proof of your faith? Well, the proof of your faith is even though you're being squeezed, your faith is still real. You're being bothered, but your faith is still alive. The world's getting darker, but Jesus is getting brighter and you keep your eyes fixed on him. I mean, this, this stuff is real. The spiritual stuff he's talking about is real. It's not just some kind of hypothetical. It's not, it's not theory. It's real for the believer, for the the one who trusts Christ, your circumstances can't stamp out your faith. He says, and though you have not seen him, which many of those people, if not most of them, had not seen him, had not seen Jesus. And that would be true for all of us, we've not seen him in the flesh. Oh, he's still very much alive, but he's not on the planet anymore. He says, and though you've not seen him, you love him. You love him. I mean, who wouldn't love the one who, who, who died for them? 
Who, who wouldn't love the one who gave his life for them? Who shed his blood for them? Who wouldn't love that one? We have a savior. And we love him. He says, and though you do not see him now, which we do not see him now in the flesh, but we do believe in him. Amen. Amen. You greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith. And by the way, faith has its outcome. There's a purpose. So we keep the faith. We continue to trust. He says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father in heaven, we thank you for this scripture passage. We thank you for the blessed apostle that wrote it as you inspired him to write it. Lord, we recognize that there could have been a lot of different things written, but he wrote this, which is particular to elect exiles in any generation. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be dwelling in a foreign land. Lord, help us to understand that this world is not our own, but we're looking for a better country. And then help us to understand and have the wisdom to know how to live while we're on this planet in a way that would honor you. We'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verse three, there's a doxology. A doxology is a praise. All believers, all believers are a living doxology to God. Our life is a praise to God. Peter expresses it here with those words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love the connection between the Father and the Son here. We love the fact that Peter not only recognizes God the Father, but also that he recognizes the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word Lord is a designation on the Father's Son that he is God. Fully, all-powerful, almighty God. Jesus is no less than God Almighty. That's what that word Lord means. He is our Lord, Jesus Christ. He came to earth, he represented the Father, he revealed the Father. And he gave his life to rescue sinners from not only sin, but the consequences thereof. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, 
So you wonder what motivates God. You know, when he looks at man, when he looks at you specifically, what motivates him? Well, it's his love for us. We've read that in other places. But here specifically, Peter says it's according to his great mercy that he has acted or that he has demonstrated this plan of salvation according to his great mercy. Mercy always speaks to the consequence of sin. So with God here represented as acting in accordance to his great mercy, he is changing our destiny. Well, how would he do that? Well, he did that by rescuing sinners. Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. And unless there's a remedy for sin, unless that remedy is applied to the life, that life will continue to be separated from God. And that's where we talk about life after death and, and eternity out there beyond and apart from God's mercy, we have to pay the consequences for our own sin. But at last, he has acted according to his great mercy. Mercy has to do with the consequences of sin. The Lord wanted to have mercy on us. And Peter, I I think here as he writes, he's thinking, okay, these elect exiles are out there. They're scattered. Some of them are on the brink of discouragement and despair. What do they need to know? Well, they need to know that their life is a living doxology to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise him. We live in praise of God because he first showed his great mercy to us. We were destined for life without Christ. We were destined for eternal darkness. We were destined for hell fire. But God has acted according to his great mercy. And what did that mercy cause God to do? Well, it's beautiful. He has caused us to be born again. I love that term. It's thrown around a lot. To be born again. These people, what did they need to know? They needed to know that, yeah, they'd been born once. That's obvious. They're alive. They've got breath in them. They've got light in their eyes. Life has happened to them. They're out there. Some of them uprooted from their familiar surroundings. Some of them kept at arm's length by the surrounding community. Because, because what? Because... God has acted according to his great mercy and God caused them to be born again. It's really, it's really beautiful here because that born again, that thought, that thing that has happened to them because they couldn't born themselves, right? You can't born again yourself. Any more than you could be physically, had anything to do with your first, your physical birth. 
I had nothing to do with my physical birth. I just woke up one day, I had a birth certificate, there's a name on it, whatever. How'd that happen? What's going on here? So I was born once, but the Bible says you have to be born again. And that born again is to be born of the spirit. There's a physical birth. There's a spiritual birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And he's just saying to these folks, you've been born again. And it wasn't so much you're doing. It wasn't that you initiated that. It was that God initiated that out of his great mercy for you. So they're born again. And as such, they don't look toward an earthly inheritance. He says they have a much better inheritance. We'll get to that in a minute. But he says they don't have to be hopeless either. Look at this. They've been born again, spiritually born again. This is something initiated by God. Where he brings life into that one who is dead in trespasses and sins. That's over in Ephesians 2. And by his life, by his power, we're raised up. To what? Faith in him. Faith is the fruit of the new birth. And so we believe in him. We're caught. He caused us to be born again. That's a spiritual birth. And he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And he's talking to people who are on the brink of hopelessness. What are they going to do? Their dreams, their fortunes, their lives are coming undone. And he's saying, listen, God has acted in mercy on you. You've been born again. You're not, this world is not yours. This is not your permanent dwelling. There is nothing here for you. All that's for you is in the future. It is on the other side. It is with that eternal inheritance. But while we're here on the planet, we have a living hope. Has your hope ever waned? Has it ever slipped? Well, you've been born again to a living hope, a lively hope. I think we should talk heaven up. I think we should talk up the presence of God in an evil society. We should talk up the promises of God. Because our hope is not a dead hope. Our hope is a living and a lively hope. Talk it up. Yes, if you've trusted Christ, one day you're going to be with Christ. If you've trusted him, he has an inheritance for you. And in the here and now, we have a living hope. The headlines may be bad and getting worse. But I have a living hope. And notice where this living hope comes from or what it's based on. He says it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Christ is risen from the dead. Now listen, if he's still in the grave, there's no hope. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He's alive forevermore. Therefore, those who have received him have a living hope. Doesn't matter how bad it gets out there. What matters is that I have a living hope. And it's based on an empty tomb. It's based on the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. We have a living hope. I trust today as you came in those doors, I trust you have a living hope. I trust that as you leave today, after hearing a sermon such as this, that you would leave with a living hope, if not a livelier hope than when you first came in. We have a living hope and that hope is in Jesus based on his death and resurrection from the dead. And that all points to the inheritance right there in verse four to obtain an inheritance inheritance. I mean, usually folks are on the edge of a seat, right? If you mention inheritance, what, what talk about it? Well, he's, he's about ready to tell us about it. He says that these folks who've been born again, they've been born again to a living hope. And that's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that you are born again, that you're citizen of another land, another country, and that God has an inheritance for you. In fact, to obtain an inheritance, which is, and he describes the inheritance three ways. So this is an eternal inheritance. I would say this is, uh, this would could be described as eternal riches waiting for you. It's not in this life. You will not inherit it here. You will inherit it there. It is eternal. But notice how he describes it. It's imperishable. Have you ever had to throw bad fruit away? You get those apples or the bananas are the obvious. They don't last very long. You either throw them away or make bread out of them. Um, those things are perishables. They go bad. His inheritance for you doesn't go bad. It's better than a banana. And then he says it's undefiled. Here's a good one. Here's what this means. Sin can't touch it. Sin can't touch it. The inheritance that God has for you can't touch it. That inheritance is undefiled and will not fade away. Uh, I'm reminded of this quite often. I get, go out and buy some flowers for Linda. Maybe it's her birthday or maybe it's Valentine's Day. I know I should do that more, but, you know, I try to remember the days. So, um, but you, as soon as you buy those flowers, what can you count on? They're going to fade away. 
I mean, you can, you can put in water, you can put in that stuff that comes with them and put that in there and mix it all up. They're going to fade. They'll sit right there on your dining room table and they'll fade right before your eyes. And the petals will start dropping off. And you try not to think, well, I spent 20, 30, 40 bucks. There they go. But she's happy. So that's wonderful. But listen, that's, listen, flowers are so different from the inheritance that God has for you. Because his inheritance that he has for you, there it is, will not fade away. Reserved, right there, reserved, that means nobody can touch it. In heaven, got your name on it, in heaven for you. For you. For you who are born again. For you who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. For you who are sanctified by the work of the Spirit. For you who obey Christ and are sprinkled with his blood. For you who are enjoying the multiplied grace and peace in your life and on your head in this day. It's reserved for you. And then lastly, you are protected. Who are protected by the power of God? Well, what good... Would it be to have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away if those who are to inherit it are protected? And, and Peter just says here, he says, who, meaning you, are protected by the power of God. There's a lot there in those words. Some of this just hitting me freshly as I read them. You are protected by the power of God through faith. So it's God's power in your life protecting you as you continue to believe and trust him even through hard times, even through confusing days. We are protected by the power of God through faith, that faith that we express toward Jesus for what? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That day is coming. There is a day that history as we know it will cease and history as we have never known it. In fact, history is, as we've never been able to comprehend it, will begin. It's called eternity. It's called life with Jesus. But now, we endure, and we trust, and we rejoice, and we think and comprehend, or try to comprehend all that God has done for us. And then we appropriate his blessing in the here and now as we continue to walk before him. Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, thank you for cheering us up through your word. That one who has come in just torn up, heartbroken, discouraged. God, bind them up. God, give them that lively hope. Give them that promise of an eternal inheritance. Give us the assurance of all that you've done for us and help us to live in, to your glory and to your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.